I'm excited about the word that God has for us today. I'm also excited because God says things a whole lot better than I can say them. As a matter of fact, I have found out as a husband, there are four words that I really never want to use with my wife. Are you ready for this? I am always right. I have learned after 31 years of marriage not to say that. Not to, those words get me in trouble. There are also four words that I have learned over 25 years not to use with my children. You ready? I told you so. I told you so. They don't like it when daddy tells them so. My wife doesn't like it when, when her husband says, I am always right. And here's the thing. I'm never always right. As a matter of fact, I'm more wrong than I am right. Uh, many, many times. And when it comes to my children, I think I'm going to help them, and I think I'm going to tell them what they need to say, and then all of a sudden, I just want them to know that I'm their daddy, and I know everything. And so I say, I told you so. That Sometimes our words get us in trouble. But I love God's Word, because God's Word is always right, and it's always good, and it's always just what we need. Amen? God's Word is always just what we need. And in His Word... Uh, there are a couple of statements that he makes. One is a command, and one is a promise, and they're made up of four words. I love the command that God gives us with these four words, do not be afraid. That's God talking to you and to me, and that's God backing that up. If God says, don't be afraid, what he's saying is, I am with you. It's a promise, And I love those sets of four words that God gives us. And many times throughout the Bible, we see those four sets of words connected. When God says, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, usually he's going to follow it up with, I am with you. And I love that command, but I also love that promise. And I'm going to be honest with you. After reading Acts chapters 13 through 17, I'm a little exhausted. Anybody else, right? There's a lot of ups and downs, and the downs are really down, like painfully down. Uh, And look, I'm exhausted, and all I've done is read it. Can you imagine Paul, right? Paul is the one who lived through it. Can you imagine Paul and his companions and how they felt in Acts 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? I, I believe this, and we see it in the Word. Paul and his companions, they faced fierce opposition. There were many people who were against them. They were also falsely accused. They, they faced false accusations. In other words, people lied about them and to them. They also faced unjust beatings and imprisonment. They were beaten and they were imprisoned without even going before a judge, without going before a court. And they faced so much more. And look, that was just the outside forces. That was just the outside forces. Not only did they face outside pressures and outside opposition and abuses, but they also faced internal conflict. As a matter of fact, the Bible said they had disagreement with one another. We've already seen that with Paul and Barnabas. They faced discouragement. All of this was from within. But when we see all of that, we also see something else. See, when I read Acts 13 through 17, I can focus on all the negative. I can focus on all the bad. I can focus on all the hurt, all the pain, all the opposition, all the abuse, all of the stuff that comes against them, and I can miss the most important words. 
even in the midst of all that stuff that was going on, external and internal, here are the words that we see over and over again in Acts 13 through 17. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. Even in the midst of all of this turmoil, Paul and his companions kept their focus on Jesus and they kept on telling other people about Jesus. They preached the gospel. I'm going to tell you, the devil, he loves turmoil. He loves it. The devil, he loves confusion. He loves doubt. He loves fear. Let me tell you what else the devil loves to do because he's been doing it from the beginning. He loves to lie. He loves to lie. You want to know why? Because all he is is a lie. All he is is a liar. And so I believe the best way to know the devil's lies, the best way to know when the devil speaks that he's lying is to know the truth. Jesus tells us in John 8, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus tells us about the devil. You need to know who your enemy is in this world. You need to know that Satan hates God and he hates you because you love God. And you need to know how your enemy operates. He lies and he keeps on lying and he will always lie. He will never tell you the truth. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life, and that when you hold to His teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. That's Jesus. Satan is a liar. Jesus is the truth. The only way we can know the lies of Satan and be aware of the lies of Satan is to know the truth, and the truth is Jesus. So let me just go ahead and tell you in this place today, if you're lost and you don't have Jesus, you will not know all of the lies that Satan tells you. You can't know the lies unless you know the truth. But if you know the truth, he'll set you free. So let me ask you a question this morning. Has the enemy lied to you lately? Has the enemy lied to you? Has he been lying to you? I'm going to tell you, he lies to me every day. He wake, listen, when I wake up, he tries to take advantage of my first breath by lying to me. And then he don't stop lying to me all day long. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I can be on the mountain breathing in the refreshment of God, and he's still going to try to lie to me. I can be down in the pit, and he's definitely going to lie to me. And I can be somewhere in between, and guess what the devil's going to keep doing to me? Lie. Thank you. Lie. He's going to keep on lying. So the next question is, have you, remembered, have you remembered God's commands and God's promises to you? See, it's easy when this life begins to shake. It's easy when this life begins to rattle your bones. It's easy in this life when it starts to get dark. It's easy for us to get confused. It's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to get doubtful. It's very easy for us to get fearful. And in those moments, we need to remember what God says. We need to remember God's commands to us. We need to remember God's promises for us. We need to remember the truth. As a matter of fact, uh, I listen to uh, uh, some, some music when I'm running, and in her song, Look What You've Done For Me, Tasha Layton sings this. Listen to what she says. She says, look what you've done. Look what you've done in me. 
You spoke the truth into the lies that I let my heart believe. Look at me now. Look at how you've made me. The enemy did everything that he could do, but look what you've done on the cross, in the grave, with a stone rolled away. All my debt, it has been paid. Look what you've done. In that song, what she says is, the devil has lied to me, and I have let the devil, I have let his lies into my heart. I I have believed what the devil has said to me, but oh God, I know you. And I know what you've said. And so she turns and she says, look what you've done. What you've done is you've spoken truth into me. You've spoke, spoken life into me. You've spoken light into me. And you tell me who I am, not the devil. See, it's when we understand who God is and we believe in who Jesus Christ is that we can finally understand that God loves us and God is for us, not against us. And that God's commands are good and His promises are true. And then we can realize when the devil comes against us, we can do what Jesus did. Hey, devil, let me tell you something. It is written. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted? Three times the devil tempted him. And Jesus said three words right off the bat each time. It is written. He spoke truth into the lie of Satan. I'm going to tell you, if it's good for Jesus, it's good for me. If Jesus did it, hey, I'm going to do it. God gives us a good word right here in Acts chapter 18. See, Paul, he left Timothy and Silas uh, when he was in Berea. He went to Athens and he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Bible says that many people were saved. Then Paul went to Corinth. That's what we looked at last week. Paul went to Corinth, the, the largest city in Greece. It was known for its commerce. It was also known for its immorality. And so Paul, he leaves Athens, and now he's in Corinth. But we know what Paul's going to do because he's been doing the same thing ever since God saved him. And what is that? Preach the gospel. We know that's what he's going to do. So he comes to the city of Corinth, largest city in Greece, known for money and wealth, but also known for immorality. As a matter of fact, they worshipped so many false gods, but one of the false gods they worshipped the most was the goddess Aphrodite. Yeah, the goddess of love. As a matter of fact, her temple, right, it was filled with temple prostitutes, thousands of temple prostitutes all around. So there wasn't just immorality, there was sexual immorality all over the place. If you thought Paul was distressed over the idolatry that he saw in Athens, what do you think he thinks when he sees this in Corinth, right? I I think it's got to be more than distress, it's got to be heartbreak, it's got to be heartache. What is going on? Right here in this place, what, what are these people doing? Don't they know who they are? Don't they know whose they are? Don't they know why they are? I can, just, I can just see Paul. I can feel what he's feeling when he looks around and he sees what's going on. And so watch what happens right here in Acts chapter 18. He's in Corinth now. He's left Athens. He's in Corinth. But he's in Corinth by himself because Silas and Timothy went to Macedonia. We'll get to that in just a minute. So it says, after this, talking about Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, and a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. But look at verse 4. Every Sabbath... He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So again, we know who Paul is. We know whose he is. We know why he is. Paul is going to preach the gospel. If he has an audience, he's going to tell them about Jesus, whether it's one, five, or 500, whether it's Jew or Gentile, Paul's going to get to Jesus. And so I love this passage of Scripture because God, he blessed Paul with new companions. He blessed him with new companions and with work. And Paul continued to preach the gospel. See, when he arrived in Corinth, he arrived alone. But right off the bat, he makes contact with Aquila and Priscilla. Not only were they fellow believers, but they were also fellow tent makers. Undoubtedly, with a very successful business because they employed Paul. Paul was able to use his natural gift, which was his hands, making tents. But even in the midst of that, Paul also exercised his spiritual gift, and that is preaching. Paul, every Sabbath, went to the synagogue and he preached the gospel. The Bible tells us that Paul devoted himself, right? He devoted himself to preaching the gospel and telling others about Jesus. God, he continued to bless Paul as these companions, Silas and Timothy, they come back to him in Corinth. Most theologians believe that this was just the encouragement that Paul needed. Many also believe that since uh, Silas and Timothy were coming from Macedonia, we already know this from his letters uh, to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that it was the churches in Macedonia who supported his ministries. So most theologians believe that when Silas and Timothy come back to him in Corinth, they actually bring him a love offering from the churches. And since he has this love offering, you know what he tells Priscilla and Aquila? Hey, look, thank you for allowing me to work for you, kind of to to make my way, to to help pay for my housing, to help pay for my food. Uh, But uh, I want to preach the gospel all day long every day. All day long, every day. I'm devoting myself to the word. God has made a way. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what God will do. When you are surrendered to the Spirit, and you are obeying the Spirit, and you are walking in the Spirit, God will make a way. Sometimes He makes a way by giving you work, and you earning your way. And then sometimes, God, He makes a way by giving to you from the overflow of His children. And that's what we see. We see it in the life of Paul throughout the Gospels and throughout the letters. And so, we see what God is doing. He's preaching the Gospel. And watch this. This is so cool. Acts chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. It says, but then they opposed Paul, right? So he's preaching the gospel to the Jews and to the, to the Greeks, to anybody that listen. But specifically, he's in the synagogue preaching to the Jews so that they would know that Messiah was Jesus Christ. It says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, said to them your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue. So it looks like, oh man, he got shut down. No audience, nobody. But it says in verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door. (laughs) He didn't have to go too far, did he? He went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And look at this, verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Tell me God ain't good, right? 
God is good all the time. Listen, we see it right here. Paul faced more opposition, and not just opposition, but even abuse. That means it was personal. He faced more opposition and abuse from Jews in Corinth. And you say, well, Brother Jeff, how do you know it was the Jews? Because verse 6 is the continuation of verse 5. And do you see what it says in verse 5? It says Paul was testifying to who? The Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And listen, they didn't like that. They didn't like what Paul was teaching. They didn't like what Paul was preaching. They didn't like what Paul was bringing to their house. And so the Bible says they opposed Paul. They abused him. That means they attacked him personally. But what did Paul do? Fight back? No. That's not what Paul did. As a matter of fact, Paul actually did what Jesus told all of his disciples to do in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. You know what Jesus told his disciples to do? Let me tell you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. That's what Jesus said to do. When Jesus said, hey, you're telling people about me when you're sharing the gospel and they won't listen or they won't receive it, don't fight back. Don't fight against them. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And that's exactly what Paul did. He didn't have to move too far, though. The Bible says he went next door. I believe that. I mean, I believe it was literal. I believe Titius Justice's house was right across from the synagogue. And I believe that's where he went. So God continued to bless Paul. And how did he bless him? He blessed him with more companions. Titius Justice was a worshiper of God. Most theologians believe that means that he was a believer. And then, right, he's given more opportunities to preach the gospel. You think, oh, well, they they kicked him out of the synagogue, so now he doesn't have an audience. Oh, yes, he does. As a matter of fact, he now has an audience audience with the synagogue leader. Right? The, The guy that was in the synagogue listening to him now is over next door in the house of Titius, and Paul preaches, and what does it say about Crispus, the synagogue leader? It says he and his whole household believed in the Lord. And then it says that many Corinthians believed. So God gave him an audience. He was faithful to do what God told him to do. You keep preaching the gospel wherever you are. Synagogue, house, street, Greek, Jew, it don't matter. You do what I called you to do and equipped you to do, and you leave the results to me. That's what God says. That's what God says. God saved lost souls. That's what happened. Paul didn't save anybody. God did. Paul preached the gospel, and it was the gospel message that penetrated the hearts and the minds of Crispus and his house and all of these Corinthians. And the Bible says they believed and they were baptized. God saved lost souls. And look how he did it. He did it in the midst of a town that was known for its sexual immorality, that was known for fierce opposition and abuse of people who claimed Jesus Christ. God still did what he said he would do. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Man, I could stop right there on those first eight verses and we could celebrate and throw a party. And it it would be so cool. But then I come to these next verses. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I come to these next verses, it confuses me. It's like, wait a minute, what? Did I read it? Did they just like tuck in Scripture here? that wasn't, Wasn't that supposed to be in Acts 17 or somewhere else? No, it's right here. Listen to this. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11 says this. Right after God saving lost souls and moving in a mighty way, 
It says this, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid. That's, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, God just saved the synagogue leader. In other words, God just saved a preacher and a teacher. God, God just saved a bunch of Corinthians. God was just moving powerfully, and the very next verse, he's telling Paul, hey, don't be afraid. He goes on and he says, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Do you see those three commands? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Look at verse 10. Here come the promises. For I am with you. That's pretty awesome. I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. Honestly, like I said, I was not expecting to read verses 9 and 10 after reading verse 8. I, I, I just wasn't. Uh, we know that the enemy, Satan, hates God. We know that he hates truth because he's a liar. We know that he hates the gospel message because the gospel message is about Jesus the enemy, Satan, hates Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something else. The enemy hates the gospel messengers. He hates those who would spread the gospel. And he will not stop attacking. He will keep on lying. He will keep on discouraging. And he will keep on distracting. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I just believe this is what God was saying to me. God blessed Paul by encouraging him with commands and promises. I mean, listen, Paul was watching what God was doing. God saved this one. God saved that one. God saved this one. God saved that one. As a matter of fact, we know from the letters to the Corinthians a little later that Paul is the one who actually baptized Crispus. Usually his other friends, right, his other co companions, Silas and Timothy, would do the baptizing. But Paul lets us know in his letter that he actually baptized Crispus. And so Paul is like... He's standing in the midst of all this victory that God is giving. Yet God gives him these commands and these promises. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe if God had to speak these words, these truths to Paul, then it was because he knew. He knew that Paul would be lied to by the enemy. He knew that Paul would come to a place where he either feels lonely or would feel lonely. That Paul feels discouraged or would feel discouraged, or that Paul was weary or could feel weary. Dr. David Jeremiah, one of my favorite pastors, here's what he said, and this is about the visions. Do you know that Paul had six visions and all six visions were recorded in Acts? Paul had six visions. Listen to this. Paul's six visions from the Lord were all recorded in Acts, and the visions were always a response to some need in Paul's life. So every time God gave Paul a vision, it wasn't just to go do something. It was because Paul needed something personally. All six visions that he had, God knew what he needed. So Paul has a vision. And he has a vision one night after all of this success, after all of this victory. And what is that vision? It's a vision of God saying to him, these three commands. Are you ready? Number one, do not be afraid. That is the first command. Listen to me. That wasn't a suggestion. That was a command. 
Paul, Paul was being told by God, do not be afraid. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I listen to Pastor Stephen Furtick sometimes. He's, well, he's a little fiery, but sometimes I listen to him. And I love what Pastor Stephen Furtick said one time in one of his sermons. He said, maybe, just maybe, God wasn't speaking to what Paul was feeling. Maybe God was speaking to Paul's focus. Sometimes we get caught up in the feel of afraid that we don't realize it's not about the feel of fear. It's about the focus of fear. I love that. God says to him, do not be afraid. The second command, keep on speaking. Why would God say to him, keep on speaking? Maybe it's because Paul's thinking about being what? Quiet. Maybe it's because Paul is thinking about, you know what? I've done all I can do in Corinth. It's time to get out of here. God says, keep on speaking. The third command, do not be silent. Do not be silent. You keep opening your mouth and you keep pouring out the gospel with whoever and whomever you come across. Wherever you go, you keep on speaking. You keep on preaching. And then God gives him three promises. And the first promise is the one that I believe is so important. God says to him, I am with you. Have you ever felt, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt in this life that God was not with you? You ever felt that way before? Like God had abandoned you? Or that maybe you weren't a child of God? Or maybe, maybe God just uh, turned his back on you? You ever felt like that before? You ever felt lonely? God says to him, the very first promise he gives Paul is, I am with you. And then the next promise is so cool because God says, no one is going to attack or harm you. Do you know what happened to Paul in Athens? He was attacked. Yeah. Do you know what happened to Paul in other encounters? He was beaten. He was imprisoned. But God makes a promise right here and says, no one is going to attack or harm you in this place. And then he says, I have many people in this city. Now, theologians debate on that. I'm not here to debate on it because either way, it's good. Theologians debate what did, what did God mean when he says, I have many people in this city. Well, you can look at it from two angles. I actually believe both angles are true. You can look at it from this angle. I have many other Christians in this city who are going to stand beside you and stand with you. I believe that. We already see it, don't we? He was in the home of a worshiper, Titius Justice. He now had Crispus the synagogue leader, and all of his household. He was standing. Hey, Silas and Timothy came back. So it could be I have many people in this city. It could be that. You know what else it could be? It could be I have many people in this city that need to hear the gospel and who are going to get saved when you preach the word. We're seeing that, aren't we? Many new believers because Paul was faithful in preaching the gospel and God saved them. I love this because the first command and the first promise... The first command and the first promise that we see in these commands and promises, they were the foundation for the next two. So when God said, don't be afraid, he was laying the foundation so Paul would hear him say, don't stop preaching. Don't be silent. Keep on preaching. Keep on speaking. Paul needed to hear him say, don't be afraid first. That set the foundation for the next two commands. The foundation of promises. It has to always start with, I am with you. I am with you. When Paul heard God say that, I am with you, then he was ready to hear what God said next. You're not going to be harmed. You're not going to be harmed in this place. 
I have many in this city. Do you know that throughout the Bible, God commands his children, do not be afraid? You know that, don't you? Let's take a quick history tour, if you don't mind, of the Bible. God says to his children, do not be afraid. God says to his children, I am with you. He says it. Old Testament, prophets, (laughs) gospels, letters. He keeps on. Why do you think God has to keep on saying that? Don't be afraid. I am with you. Because he knows the enemy, the devil, is going to discourage us, distract us, and try to defeat us and deflate us with lies. And so God keeps on telling us, don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Because the enemy wants you to be afraid. That word be, that means present tense progressive. It means to stay in it. It means to keep on being fearful, to live fearful. God says, don't be afraid. It's not just a feeling. It's a focus. Listen to this. What did God tell Moses in the book of Exodus? You know what he told him? He said, do not be afraid. Guess what God told Joshua in the book of Joshua? Anybody want to guess? Do not be afraid. Guess what God told Jeremiah the prophet? In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, verse eight you want to hear it? Do not be afraid, <laughs> for I am with you. Ooh, he told Jeremiah back to back. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will rescue you. Oh, we see it in Isaiah. Hey, listen, we just sang the Isaiah song, right? I love that song. Ooh, I love the book of Isaiah. Listen to what God said to his children to his children in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 8 through 10. He says, You, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners I have called you. I said to you, you are my servants. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Here it is, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Anybody want to give an amen for that word? Does anybody need to be reminded of that word? Because I'm going to tell you, life is hard. Any mamas and daddies in here? You got kids? Life's hard, ain't it? Anybody in here got kids that are adults now? Life is still hard, ain't it, mamas and daddy? Yeah. Anybody here got a job? Yeah, a job will rock you on it. Sometimes the job's a little more difficult than you signed up for, than you thought it was going to be. Anybody here breathe air? I, I would say everybody would probably raise their hand if they were listening to me. But anyway, yeah, if you breathe air, listen to me, if you breathe air, the enemy hates you and he's coming after you. He's coming after you. Because you're an image bearer of God. We've been learning about that on Wednesday nights, haven't we, Connected Family? Yeah, God created you. God created you intentionally. He created you purposefully. And the enemy knows that. God told Paul exactly what he needed to hear. Exactly what he needed to hear and exactly when he needed to hear it. You know when he needed to hear it? 
He needed to hear it on the mountain of success and victory. God was saving lost souls. Listen, he walked out of a synagogue. He shook off his, his, his dust, right? And God said, here you go. There's an open door right here. Right next door. He didn't even have to walk 50 feet. God opened the door for him. You know what he did? He started preaching the gospel. God did what he said he was going to do. He saved lost souls. I, I, I just imagine Paul was celebrating, but I also believe that if God had to say to him, don't be afraid, for I am with you, then it means there was something internally going on in Paul that maybe we don't know about. And I can speak from experience on that. And I know you can too. We can smile and we can try to make people think everything's just fine. When inside, it ain't just fine. When inside, we're fighting. We're fighting with the lies that the enemy's telling us. It's like that song Tasha Layton said, look what you've done. At the beginning of that song, it's the devil talking to her, look what you've done. Look at your mistakes. Look at your failures. Look at your flaws. You can't be a child of God. You don't look like God. And she believed it. She said, my heart took that in and believed it. And so I just said, yeah, look what I've done. And she walked around in that and she bathed in it for a little while. And then at some point, the Spirit lifted her head and lifted her eyes and her heart. And she looked at God and she said, but God, amen? Look what you've done, God. You gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live for me, to die for me, to rise up from the grave to defeat my sin and my death because he had none. So God, look what you've done. You speak truth into me. You speak life into me. You speak light into me. And so devil, you're a liar. I believe what God says. I believe what God says about me. God says to me, you are mine. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. I believe what God says. When the water gets high, you won't drown because you're mine. I believe what God says to me, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. When the fires get hot, you will not be set ablaze. Why? Because you are mine. See, we need to know what God's Word says so that when the enemy starts talking, we can say, you liar. Don't act like you know me. You don't know me. God does. Don't act like you can tell me who I am. God tells me who I am. And you start quoting Scripture and see what happens. Not just quoting Scripture, you start believing Scripture in your heart and see what happens. After the opposition, yes, but even after the victory, you know what Paul still needed? He still needed encouragement and confirmation. Paul, you know what Paul was known as in the Gospels, in the letters? Paul was known as the encourager, right? That's what he was just known. He, was, he just encouraged the churches. Encourager, encourager. But let me just tell you something. The encourager needs to be encouraged too. The giver of the word needs to be the receiver of the word too. Even, even in the midst, right, of all this victory, Paul still needed God's encouragement and he needed God's confirmation. Let me just tell you something. The enemy still works today like he did back then. He ain't changed. He, he still works today like he did back then. Christ followers, we need to know that Satan hates us, that he is going to keep on hating us, that he's going to keep on attacking us, he's going to keep on lying to us, he's going to keep on tempting us, he's going to keep, keep on taunting us, he's going to keep on trying to distract us, discourage us, he's going to use our weakness and our weariness to try to come between us and God. You know what he wants? He wants our focus. He wants us to look at the things of earth and not the spiritual things that God has. 
He wants us to get caught up in the lies that he is selling and telling so that we will not listen to or remember the truth of God. See, I believe we need to know and we need to remember the word of God to us. Not only that, we need to hear and we need to receive these words from God. Hey, child, do not be afraid. Hey, child, I am with you. Listen, right now, somebody in this room, you're feeling the loneliness. Somebody in this room, you're feeling the weariness. Somebody in this room, you're feeling the failure. Somebody in this room, you're caught up in the flaws and the ugliness of life. And you know what you need to hear? You need to hear what God says to you. Hey, child, do not be afraid. Why? I am with you. You don't need to hear Brother Jeff say, I am always right. You don't need to hear Brother Jeff say, I told you so. You know what, Christians? We got to stop doing that. We got to stop looking at people saying, "Mm Mm-hmm, I told you so. No amens on that? So none none of us have done that or are doing that? Yeah. We'll have an altar call for that later. We're known for that, aren't we? We're known for telling people what's wrong with them. We're known for looking at people with judgment and condemnation. We're known for looking at people and wanting to be right. Wanting to be right. Instead of wanting to be loved. Not be loved, but be loved. Whether it is the darkness of opposition in your life, whether it's the abuse that you're taking in this life, or even, even if it is in light of victory and success, my need for God never changes. You know that? What I have found is that everything can be going right, and I need God just as desperately as when everything's going wrong. And the devil would love for me not to think that. See, the devil would love for me to get caught up in everything being right, And forget about God and forget about His Word to me. Because He knows He can lie to me. He can taunt me. He can tempt me. He can trip me. He can set a snare for me. In the Bible, when you see the word snare, you know what that means? It means death. The devil, when listen, when when you go to bed, when you're laying in the bed, he's got a death trap waiting for you. He wants you to roll over in it in the bed. If you don't roll over it in the bed, you know what he wants? He wants when your first foot steps out on the ground, he wants you to step in his death trap. He wants you to walk in his death trap all day long. That's why Jesus had to say to you, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And if you know me, you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And it's free to live the way God created us to live. Listen, this message today, it was all for me, I can tell you that. If nobody else in this room needed it, I'm going to tell you something. I needed it, and I thank God for it. If you needed it, great, great. You might look at this and say, well, that was a message for Christ followers. I disagree. I think it was a message for anybody that breathes air. See, here's what I believe. If you're not a Christ follower today, you need Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because the enemy hates you too. If you're not a Christ follower, you need Jesus today because the enemy hates you too. And if you're not a Christ follower, you know what Satan wants for you? He wants your eternity. He wants you to die Every day in hell with him for eternity. That's what he wants. 
A lot of people got this idea that Satan is going to be king in hell. You know what Satan's going to do? He's going to suffer in hell just like everybody who rejected Jesus Christ. He ain't going to have no power in hell. He ain't going to have no power in hell. He's going to burn in hell like anybody who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Sin must be punished. Sinners must be held accountable of their sin. But thank God for Jesus, amen? Because Jesus made a way for you and me to be forgiven and freed from the penalty and the bondage of our sin and that we could live forever in a place called heaven. So if you're not a Christ follower, you need Jesus. Why? Because Satan hates you. And you might say, well, Brother Jeff, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm drowning in the weariness. I'm drowning in the fear. I'm drowning in the failure. I'm drowning in sin. Brother Jeff, what do I do? I'm going to tell you it's the easiest message that's ever been preached in the gospel. Jesus Christ preached it. You ready? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That word repent, it means to say, God, I'm guilty. I am a sinner. I blame no one. It's me, God. I'm a sinner. Repent means to turn, to turn away from that sin. So, God, I recognize I'm a sinner, but I turn away from it. I turn to you. Because, God, I know you created me in your image, and I know you love me. And I know you love me so much that you sent your one and only son to die for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, what? Anybody? While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That's what the Bible says. That's not Jeff's words. That's God's word. The Bible says even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that tells me? That tells me God's already done everything that needs to be done. All you got to do is say yes to Jesus. It ain't about coming to church every Sunday. It ain't about tithing all your money. It ain't about joining this team or that team. It's about saying yes to Jesus Christ who lived for you, died for you, and rose from you. You repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus. The Bible says when you repent and believe, you shall be saved. That you become a child of God. That you're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. You know what that means? That means he's got you. And nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Hang, I'm preaching Romans today. But that's all right. I'm preaching truth. It is only through Jesus. Nothing and no one else that you can be forgiven and set free. It is only through Jesus. I'm going to tell you this, it's only through Jesus that you can truly live and flourish in the commands and the promises of God. It's not, you're not going to flourish in the commands and the promises of God by being a better husband or by being a better father or being a better mother or being a better wife or being a better, it's always be better. I got to be better. I got to do better. I got to be better. I got to do better. No, just, just trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Experience Jesus and then just be a vessel of Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better boss, a better employee. You're just going to be better. You want to know why? Because the Holy Spirit in you is best. It's best. There's nothing in this world like the Holy Spirit of God inside a born-again believer. Nothing Ain't no money, ain't no food, ain't no ball game. Ain't nothing can give you what the Holy Spirit of God can give you. I'm just telling you. And I love me some ball games. Watched one yesterday morning that made me jump up a few times. Shout. 
But I ain't never jumped up and shouted like I do for the love of God and for the Word of God. Ain't nothing better. So whatever you're looking for, until you come to Jesus, you're going to keep looking. And you will not be satisfied. And when you come to Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, He'll love you like nobody else. And He'll change you. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. Repent and believe. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is saying to you right now, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And the reason he's saying that is because you're coming into something that could cause you to be afraid and could cause you to feel lonely, or you're right in the middle of something that is causing you to be fearful and causing you to feel lonely, or you just came out of something that caused you to be fearful and caused you to be lonely, and you're looking over your shoulder. Either way, God is saying to you and me today, do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's the word you need to hear today. Believe it and live it.